I practiced all week. Can I start over, please? In Jesus' name. It's a new decade, man. Good afternoon. Go Hawks. I'll take that. Good afternoon, new movement. So glad to see you all here today. And uh, I am trying so hard to get that right. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. You know, we we are really, we've been praying about something for a long time. And uh, we've been hearing uh, some of you ask about it. Some of you drive a long way to get here. You may not know that. Some people drive more than half an hour, 45 minutes to get to church. Did y'all know that? There's people in this room that drive 45 minutes to come to New Movement. And um, we just believe it's important, especially when times when uh, people can't make it or there might be friends of yours or family members of yours that hear about this church and like, man, what are you, what's happening over there? So we've been praying about live streaming our service. We've been praying about, we've been working towards that. And uh, it, it looks like it's going to come together this year. And so we just want to present, you know, we, we know that we don't have to be perfect. But we do want to be mindful of, of those who will be watching us. And so I'm, I'm working on those little things, right? I'm working on those little tweaks so people aren't confused. But I'm just sorry. I'm a church boy. I grew up in church, and so it's always good morning. But I'm working on it. So I appreciate your love and your, uh, and your patience because, man, we're trying. We're trying so much. And I'm, I'm really, um, as first of all, I should say, Happy New Year, Happy Decade. Did y'all get a chance to tell that to each other? Happy New Year, Happy Decade. You should celebrate that. You made it to 2020. You made it. And God has been good. I, I grew up, you know, I'm an old school. I'm 70s, late 70s baby. And so I used to watch Back to the Future. Anybody remember that movie? And they said they had a part in Back to the Future where it was in 2020. I think it was 2020. They were supposed to, 2015 was it? They were supposed to have floating shoes by then, and that, that hasn't come together yet. But, but you made it to a new decade, because some of y'all weren't supposed to make it. I know I wasn't supposed to make it. I'm not talking. I'm talking to real people in here, or am I talking to like people that never been in no trouble, never been in a bad situation, never had a, a bad medical report, never had a health scare, never had a nothing like that, never had a breakup, had a divorce, nothing like that. Nobody in here. Okay, because those are, those are some things that could have took you out the last decade, last decade. I'm serious. So I believe God is, is blessing, and we ought to have cause to celebrate. And so I am thankful for this church and for all of you and for the new year that God has given us. And I'm excited. In just a few weeks, two weeks from now, uh, we have. So what we normally have every year, we didn't have it. Well, I'll take that back. What we used to do as a church uh, before, before we launched New Movement, um, the church that launched New Movement, we used to do something called the State of the Church Address. It was really, really formal, and I wore a really nice suit, and it was very presidential. And I would, I would, it was, it was pretty presidential at the time. I should have ran for office. Anyway, um, it's another story. But I, um, and we would talk about where we were as a church, how did the previous year go, and I would cast the vision for the new year and so we have turned that into vision day and so vision day is going to be on the third week of this month the third sabbath of the month and i'm going to present the vision 
for 2020. I'm excited about that, presenting that vision. And then the next weekend, so there are really two weekends. So the next weekend is still our vision weekend. But for how many of you were here for our launch day last year? So next, that week I talked about is going to be the anniversary, one-year anniversary of New Movement. One-year anniversary of New Movement. So that next weekend, part of our vision weekend, we are going to celebrate, and I am bringing in a pastor that used to pastor the church that launched New Movement here, Pastor Ron Sidney, one of my best friends in the world. And here's what I want. I want 150 people in here. I said I want 150 people in the building. We have exactly 150 chairs, and I want every single chair filled. If you got a split personality, invite the other person. No, I'm just kidding. That's not funny. That's not funny. I should say, I got to be careful. No, I'm just saying, bring, bring, bring everybody. Trick somebody. All right? Tell them, we want to take you out to IHOP. Right? And take them here. So I, I'm serious. If you can, that's what I want you to pray about. It'll be, it'll be such a wonderful, wonderful salad. And so the last week of the month, I want every, every single chair filled to capacity. Do you know that we have a lot of people that come? You know, I think I've told you this report before that average church attendance in America, do you know how, how often it is? I shouldn't tell you this, but I will. I've said it before. It's once a month. Did you know that that's average? That's actually good church attendance once a month. So some of you are doing very good. Be proud of yourself. You made it. Like, I made it this week. I might not be back next week. But I do need you to come the last week. But if everybody that comes to this church came, do you realize it'd be 150 people? If everybody came on the same day? So that's what I'm saying. Schedule your week, last week of the month. If you're sick, call an ambulance. Tell them to bring you here. We'll take the sick, the lame, and nearly dead. All right, spend your last days here at the church. So everybody here, and so we want that energy. We, I, and the reason is, I want you to see and feel what 150 feels like. I want you to feel it. I want you to see it. And we believe that what God is doing for us is for everyone, and we are a part of that team. And so I'm really excited about that. If you can put that on your calendar, you'll hear me talk more about it next week. And so, all right, I better get to the sermon. Let me pray one more time. Father, thank you so much uh, for today, for every single person here, and for Hope City Heroes. Our kids are over there going to have a wonderful time. Thank you so much for that team, and we just love you and honor you. Lord, as you help us today and teach us about game day, I pray that you open our hearts, our minds, that we might be able to receive what you have and respond to what you want us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm, I'm going to get all mega church pastor on you here today and get the mega church pastor table and chair. I'm just kidding. Y'all seen that before? You ever seen pastor use this? I don't typically use it, but today I wanted to do something. Look, I got my professor glasses on too. Dr. Taylor coming out today. Um, I wanted to really kind of do something practical. Last week we talked about game day ready, right? And, and some of you, I really, really needed you to pray for the Seahawks last weekend. And, and you know, some of y'all just, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to your faith. Um, I needed the Lord to be with us. And uh, so I need you to pray again this week. So I wanted to do a special prayer for the Seahawks today. 
but I don't have time for that. But I did talk about last week being game day ready. Remember that? Talked about being, that's what we talked about last week is it's on our podcast if you want to listen to it, uh, which is on the app. But we talked about being game day ready and we talked about preparing for the game day when the game day comes. And I mentioned four things that every believer should practice in their life. It was prayer, four things every day you should practice in your life. Prayer, Bible study, worship, and service. Prayer, Bible study, worship, and service. And one of my great uh, heroes of preachers and pastors is Dr. Henry Wright. He's now retired. And he used to always talk about these four things. And he would actually call them a stool. That was good. Good. Anyway, um, I planned that out. So he would call it a stool. And he would say, there's four things that keep the stool up. Prayer. Bible study. Now turn all the way around. Worship. And service. Visualize it. It's like a stool. So I'm going to do my sermon today on the stool to visualize those four things. But also, I'm going to unpack them. In fact, I'm going to unpack them, and I'm going to give you some practical ways to do them. Because it'd be wrong for me to introduce it to you and not show you how to do it. Here's what I do know. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church all your life or you are brand new to church, right? You are brand new. I never estimate or I never guess where people are in their spiritual journey and I have noticed as a pastor a lot of things that I take for granted that people know they've never been taught to do they've never actually been taught how to do it it's just people just assume that you know how to do it and you pick it up along the way but I'm not going to do that I want to make sure I've committed this year to teach you how to do it to talk about difficult things We're going to talk about sex, sexuality. We're going to talk about all those things this year, things that are practical and real so that you are able to live out your Christian faith. And so I want to talk about game day. And game day really is about practicing these spiritual disciplines when they count. Remember, because the game is coming. We get out of the locker room, as Fernandez said, and we get on the playing field. And when you said, I decided to follow God, I've decided to follow Jesus, that means you're getting in the game. That means you got skin in the game. That means you are going to have competitors. That means you might lose the last game of the season, but you win the divisional game on the road. I'm just speaking prophetically for the Seahawks. (laughs) Amen. So let's talk about this. And let me introduce you to a text in Ephesians Chapter 6. Can you find that either on an on a app or on the screen? The screen's an easy way to find it if you don't know where to find it. By the way, I would recommend, challenge a few of you this year, to go on Amazon, and if you don't have one, and buy a Bible. Challenge you this year, buy a Bible and bring it to church. You look way more spiritual. I mean, you look deep. And then you get pulled over, I always put my Bible right there and say, officer, I might have been speeding, but I was just reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. (laughs) I was making my way to church to pray for the police department. (laughs) 
That's right. You're right. You might. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Let's break this down here. It says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That might be news to you today. You might have thought you were fighting against your husband or your wife or your fiance. You might have thought that's where the battle was. uh, Between your stubborn child or your stubborn parents. Amen. You might have thought that was the battle. The Bible says that's not really the battle. We're not fighting flesh and blood enemies. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of armor, God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Here's my favorite part of this verse. Then after the battle, after the game, when the clock runs out, you will be able to stand firm. Think about that for a second. What, what would that look like the next time you get in an argument with that person that you're standing firm? I'm not talking about you winning the argument. I'm talking about you not being emotionally hooked. I'm talking about you not blowing up. I'm talking about the old you not coming back. I'm talking about you being able to stand your ground and be firm and stand in the faith that you're trying to practice. What if the next time the temptation came to you and you were able to withstand the temptation, you were able to endure it, you were able to push through it so that you were not being caught and hooked by the devil. That's what the game day is, to have poise, to have strength, to have confidence in God, to have your faith so when game day comes, you're not scared, you're not rattled, and you're able to stand. You're able to remain standing at the end of the battle. Go back to verse, uh, if you can go back to it for a second. Um, Right where it was. Verse 11. Put on all the God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against, look at this word, y'all, all the strategies of the devil. That's an important word. Strategy. That means the enemy is not just trying to get lucky on you. There is a strategy against you. Let me say it this way. There is a strategy against your family. That's why it seems like every single generation, things keep repeating. Did you notice that over the holiday season? I know you saw some family members. I know you were like, wow, I never saw that before. There, there are strategies that, that the enemy puts together. It's a plan. It's a game plan that he knows if I put this in their way and this in their way and under this circumstance, they're going to fall. But God is like, I'm going to give you a strategy. And if you learn how to practice these things, we'll have a time to have a coach meeting before you start your day 
so we can go over the game plan. Because you do know, especially in the playoffs, to digress to football real quick, the playoffs is really about coaching. How many of y'all knew that? It's really about coaching. All year round, people have put some of their plays out. And they've seen the teams and they've studied the strategy of the team. But when the playoff comes, there are sometimes plays that a coach has not called in six years. And the team knows the play, but they're going to call it at the crunch time. Some of you ex-football players notice that it's a game of strategy. It's I've seen this, but you haven't seen this. And when we take that time with God, What we need to do is God gives us the game plan. He says, today, before you get to your job, right, before you get to class, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And then we have the advantage because God gives us an advantage. As people, we're just like everybody else. We don't say we're better than you because we go to church. No, we just got an advantage. We have a a hidden secret in the power of God to give us advantage the information that we need to live. And so here's what, I made some notes about this because I've been hearing, as I've been praying for us as a church uh, for 2020, I've been hearing uh, from the Lord that a lot of the things that we're going to face this year, um, both, as a ch- at, both as a church corporately and as us as individuals, is going to be spiritual. That's what I hear him saying. It's going to be Spiritual. We're going to deal with things in a, that are going to be difficult spiritually. It's going to test us. Or there are things that we're going to be able to celebrate. We're going to have impact as a church in this community. It's going to come from what we do spiritually. It's not going to be the cool lights, although they're cool. It's not going to be how well we do on social media or how well we hand out stuff and let people know we're here. It's really going to be how we grind spiritually, where our hearts are as a people. Some of you are coming back to God, and that's great because sometimes in those moments when you're coming back to him is the moments where you're open, the moments where you're vulnerable. And those who have been in in their walk a long time, sometimes we understand that God has to give us something to kind of wake us up and break us out of the bad habits that we have of depending on ourselves to give us something difficult or give us some some sort of responsibility that tips us over to say, man, I really need to be focused on God. And so I think the growth we're going to see in people around us is going to be spiritual. It's going to be those small groups. It's going to be things like that, that we're going to see people growing. The healing, the healing that I believe we're going to experience is going to be spiritual. It's going to be you finally being able to forgive your dad. It's going to be finally being able to not live with guilt from your past. Those are spiritual things. And I hope you don't think that we're teaching you to come here and put on some front. Like you don't have to put on a front here. You don't have to pretend to have it all together. All together. You don't have to pretend to have your life together. We are attracted to dysfunction. We are attracted to sickness. Jesus loves people who are broken. That's who he's looking for because he wants to give you freedom and healing. But that comes from the heart. We're not going to tell you 
how to dress and how to eat and how to live. But if we can show you that it's possible that the thing you've been suffering from all your life can be healed and it can be healed by the power of God, that will change everything else. And so the trials, the temptations, all that I believe is going to be spiritual. And it's really a battle of the mind. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12 says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. What Paul is talking about is our perception of the battle. It's us being able to recognize this situation is a spiritual battle, right? This is not really me against my coworker. This is not really me against my kids. There's something going on behind this that I can come into this knowing, okay, I cannot come in the door until I get myself right. There are times when I come home and I have to sit in my car for five minutes. I'm just talking to some real dads in here. There's some dads in here. I'm serious. I I, I have to sit in my car. Let's talk to the moms. Talk to the sisters right here. Sit in my car or or park down the street. Because usually when you pull up, everybody knows you're there. (laughs) I'm serious. I have to, I have to, I have to pull down the street and I have to say to my, I have to pray and say, God, help me to be present when I get home. Help me not to waste all of myself on everybody else and show up here empty. I can't show up at home empty today. I can't show up at home. I've got to give them my best because when I come in the house, there's going to be fights. There's going to be disagreements. I don't know what you think the pastor's house is like. It's buck wild, okay? (laughs) Nobody's walking around with halos and pillows, reading the Bible and singing spiritual songs up in my house. It's a fight. It's a struggle. It's chaos because we're people. But I realize some fights are spiritual. And I've got to make sure that I'm coming into this meeting or I'm coming into this conversation thinking about it. It's a perception. You ask questions like this. Where is the battle happening? Who am I fighting? How do I fight this battle? Because sometimes, you know what I realize? We fight. This is really good. I've realized this. A lot of times when we're offended, we're not offended by who we are. Who we are is not offended. It's who we think we are that's offended. I'll try it again. Let's go back and break it down. It's not the real person of who we are that's offended. It's the person that we pretend to be in order to survive and push forward. When that person gets challenged, That's what we're really offended by. We're offended by the person that we want people to perceive in the moment. That's the person that we are normally protecting. Because who we appear to be or who we show up as is a lot of times different than who we really are. Because we may show up at our jobs trying to be patient, but we're fuming inside. Right? Like we're burning up because... We're offended because everything in this place violates who we are. 
There are people talking about people, saying explicit sexual jokes, lying, cheating. And that is offensive because that's not who we really are. But we have to sit there and smile and hear somebody's crazy stories. And, you know, all that, you know, you got coworkers like that just tell you all this random stuff. And you just like, would you please leave so I can get my work done? I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. But you're like, ha, 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 yeah, let me get back to work. And that's exhausting and it's draining. And so sometimes when that person gets offended, or when that person gets shook a little bit, we, we get a little rattled because we want the real person to jump out. And sometimes there's a confusion about, is what I'm feeling right? Is it okay to be angry here? Is it okay to respond here? Is it okay? Some people have a difficult time like saying, I love you. Listen, ladies, I'm telling you, brothers are working on this. We're working hard, Amen. right? Like, we're thinking, I want to tell her I love her. I want to tell her she's beautiful. And we're just, like, like trying to say it. And we're just like, I'll see you later. We're like, oh, man. Like, we're trying. We're trying to push it through. Like, hey, before you leave to work, I just want to tell you something. I was praying for you this morning, and I just, I just want to let you know I love you, and I support you, everything you do today. I know you got something difficult to handle, but I just want to let you know that, hey, whatever you face at work, it's okay. I got your back. Spiritual. It might lead to something else, but I'm going to keep on going. Okay, so here's the ex- <laughs> Okay, I better watch my time. I'm not doing a marriage seminar today. Okay, John 19. I want to show you what game day looks like. This is Jesus. This is the MVP. This is the one in the Hall of Fame. The greatest human of all time to ever do it, the greatest. Here's Jesus the Christ. Let me show you how a boss handles it. John 19, chapter one, this is, or verse one. This is Jesus going to the cross. This is Jesus standing, talking to his executioner. This is a innocent person going to the judge, getting ready to get the death penalty. That's what this is. There's a game day, this is a game day. This is a person who's completely innocent getting ready to be killed by people he's healed. Getting ready to be betrayed by people he's getting ready to die for. This is the boss right here. Look what happens. Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. If that would have said Terrence, it would have said, the next verse would have said, and Terrence died. <laughs> right? Like that, that would have been the end of the, ver- the chapter. Terrence died. Pilate, who had him whipped? Pilate had him whipped. Okay. It was Pilate's decision. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe around him. Hail, king of the Jews. They mocked him, and they slapped him across the face. I'm so thankful y'all ain't my savior, and you ought to be thankful I'm not either. Because a slap across the face? Okay. <laughs> and, and Jesus struck him with 17 shots from the Glock. It's the end of the verse. <laughs> shots rang out. Shots were fired. <laughs> Pilate went outside again and he said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but clearly understand, I find him not guilty. What kind of justice is that? 
Pilate's got him whipped, crowns of thorns, mocked. And he's like, just y'all, y'all know politically, I want to save some face here. I was not responsible for this decision. But then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here's the man. Then they saw him, the, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him, uh, him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I don't find him guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by all our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. Pilate shook about this. He took Jesus back in the headquarters again and asked him. So he's like, wait a minute. This don't sound right. Let me talk to Jesus privately one more time. He says, he took him back. He asked Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave no answer. He ignored the emperor or whoever this was who had him flogged, embarrassed, crown of thorns. The man asked him a question and Jesus didn't answer. Just looked at him. Look what Pilate says. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. We talk about game day. Look what he said. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. Whoa, clap back, right? Wait a minute, you, you don't have any power unless somebody from above gave it to you. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is clapping back real hard. Look what verse 12 said. Then Pilate tried to release him. Y'all, man, I'm telling you, this, I wish this was a full sermon. Jesus just clapped back on Pilate. Jesus just told Pilate and put him in his place. And Pilate's like, man, I need to release this dude. <laughs> Pilate's like, you're exactly right. Let's get this brother out of here. I don't want no part of this. <laughs> right? He's like, yep, I'm done. Let's get him out of here. I'm not fooling with Jesus. is Pilate looking into the eyes of Jesus and seeing the spirit of God and like whoa I don't want no part to do with that that's game day to have the boldness and the strength to say old school term thus saith the Lord to know what God wants you to say in that moment and, and to be strong in it so much to the point where the one who's trying to crucify you and kill you is like, nope, I'm good. I ain't fighting this one. We ain't going to win this battle today. Nope, I'm done. And Jesus releases himself to the battle. It's a spiritual battle. Jesus was so filled with the spirit that even his executioner couldn't see any fault in him. 
Let me take you to that verse again. Verse Ephesians 16, or 6 verse 13. What did it say? Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. You see Jesus standing firm, whipped, bloody, back torn to shreds, crown of thorns, blood running down his face, and he's standing firm. He's saying, you don't take my life. I lay it down when I'm ready. You don't, you're, not, you're not killing me. You don't kill me. I'm laying my life down when I'm ready to lay it down. And I'm not even ready to lay it down yet because I got to have a conversation with a thief on the cross in a few minutes. So can we move this along? Because I got one more person to reach out to before I finish this job. So that's just, oof, that's, a good, that's good enough right there. Okay, let me finish this sermon. Standing firm. Here's what Jeremiah says. I like what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 17, uh, verses 7 through 8. Write the scripture down. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. That's what the stool is about. Getting up in the morning, I'm going to make the Lord my hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along the river bank. With roots that deep that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they will never stop producing fruit. That's the kind of 2020 I want. I don't care if there's a political famine. I don't care if there's a political storm. An economic storm, an economic famine. A medical crisis. I'm going to be planted deep by the water so that the heat won't affect me and the drought won't affect me and I'll still be able to produce no matter what happens around me. That's what that is. I'm going to still be able to show up for the game no matter what happens. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be convicted. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to stay the course because I'm planted by the water. When you make that decision, that every single day, I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to say, God, this is too hard for me. I'm going to humble myself. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to give it to you so that you can give me the game plan. Because here's the problem with that. There are certain, certain moments in your life you can't trust yourself. Amen. I'm just saying, a Saturday night, 2 in the morning, you need to put your phone in the freezer. Don't text nobody. Don't look at nothing. Don't go online. Because a Friday night by yourself? Am I talking to any real people in here? (laughs) Up late at night, 2, 3 in the morning? Can't trust yourself. Just went to Macy's. Got your tax return. You can't trust yourself. (laughs) Don't trust yourself. Somebody said, stay out of Walmart. Black Friday, everything is 50% off. Stay, stay, go to church. Don't go to Black Friday. You can't trust yourself. Here's what Jeremiah continues to say in that same chapter. Jeremiah 17, look what he says. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? It's that bad. But I, the Lord, search all hearts. I Google all hearts. On explicit, not safe search. I Google all hearts and examine secret motives. So you don't have to be afraid of a God like that. 
You got to be thankful for a God like that. Because a God like that says, uh uh uh, don't, no, 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 you're not ready to call your ex back. You're not ready to check the comments on Instagram. You're not ready for that. Because your heart is wicked. We haven't dealt with that yet. It's going to be an issue when you look at that picture again. When you go there again, you're not ready. I searched the heart, I searched you. That's what we do. We give God permission to search us. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So let me tell you, practically, let me give you some practical things. I know I spent most of my time doing this. I'll try to do this as briefly as I can. So we talked about those four things, right? Prayer, Bible study, worship, and service. It's like a stool. Prayer, Bible study, worship, prayer, worship, Bible study, and service. I thank my pastoral sermon research team for finding this for me. Something I grew up as a kid, I heard and I couldn't remember it, and the research team found it. We're going to put it on the screen. It's a little ugly, but it makes sense. It's this thing to help you remember how to pray, because you're like, how do I pray? What do I say when I get up? It's a good way to do it. You can look at this thing. It's like a hand. Take a picture of it, whatever you got to do. These five things, if you practice your prayer with this, it would start off with praise. It start off pretty much just thanking God for who he is. That's how you would start your prayer. It sounds like this. God, I just want to thank you for being God. I want to thank you for being bigger than me. I want to thank you because I believe you are God. I believe you're in control. And as I look back on my life, I know that you have been there with me. Thank you for that. You just start with praise. Thanksgiving is when you would thank God for what he's done. Lord, I want to thank you for how you provided for me. I want You start to remember those things. I want to thank you for how you brought me through. I want to thank you. I never thought I'd recover from that breakup. I never thought I would get back into school. I never thought I'd get a better job. But you're the one who did that. Thank you so much. I want to thank you for how you've been working in my life, in my church. And then you talk about intercession. You know what intercept, intercession is? It's like an interception where you take what was coming to someone else and you take it and go the other direction. In other words, you want to say, I want to pray for my children. I want to pray for my family members. I want to pray for the difficult person at my job. I want to stand in their behalf because for some reason they're not connected to you. And I want to connect to them for you to you on their behalf. I'm saying I want to re- I want to speak for them. It's like being an attorney. I want to speak for them. God, they need this. Lord, they need this. Can you do this for them? I'm asking you. Because remember, God doesn't, he doesn't like to do things without permission. He's not going to just bust in. But sometimes we got to bust in for him. We got to say, God, look, I'm willing to take whatever this comes with this, but I'm giving you permission on behalf of them. That's what intercession is. Confession. That's just saying, I'm wrong. Somebody taught me in Spanish last week how to say it. I forgot it. She told me. Did y'all hear that? Do I have to walk over there again? It just means I'm wrong. Confession. Look, I did this, this, and that. God already knows you did it. But sometimes you don't know you did it because you're not confessing it. You're editing it, making it softer. 
I'm sorry that my temper got away. No, you, your temper didn't get away from you. You acted a straight fool and you cussed somebody out. That's what you did. God, I just don't, no, don't, don't edit it. Don't soften it up. Remember, that's protecting that person you think you are. Say, say raw. God, I would have, I would have done this and that if I could have. But God, I, I, there's something in me that I need to confess. It's, I'm not right. I shouldn't have done that. Man, there's been times in my life where I was confessing while I was doing it. like, God, I know this is wrong. Take this, take this taste out of my mouth so I don't enjoy this. That was my prayer. T- just help me not like this anymore until you can break it from me. And then petition. I love that. Asking God for stuff. God, I know this is a big thing, but could you do this for me? God says we don't have it because we don't ask for it. Just ask God. Y'all took a picture of it? You got some time? Did you get it? Okay, if you need it, we can get it to you as a JPEG. Prayer. So you start your day like that. Don't take that long. Maybe you can take five minutes. One minute for each thing. But just get in the habit. Sometimes you got to do it two, three times a day. Prayer. That's practical. You can take that. You can practice that. What about Bible study? I would have loved to take the time to do this, but I'm going to put this on the screen. Uh, This is to, to, to show you how to do this. This is to show you how to do, or actually worship. So what I like to do is really worship through the Psalms. That's one of the easiest way to do it, is Psalms are good places to worship. You're not really going to do a lot of worship in Leviticus or, you know, or something like that. That's not a good place to start. Psalms are really good. This is what I would do. I'm going to show you how I would do it. So I picked Psalms uh, 31, 1 through 4. So I would go verse, I'll go verse by verse, I'll read the psalm, and then I'll respond to the psalm back to God. So, oh, what a joy whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. I pray like, Lord, I want that feeling. Thank you for being a God who does forgive. Lord, what are the things that I need to be forgiven of? What are the things I need to be put out of sight? I thank you for a God that that removes those things. I began to reflect on my disobedience. And I began to reflect on what it means to be forgiven. I'm just opening up my heart. Then verse 2, for example, I go to the next verse. Yes, what a joy for those who record the, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Lord, you cleared my guilty record? You mean you don't remember those things? That means I don't need to remember those things. That means I don't remember those things that people have done to me. Help me forgive. Help me to erase the record that I have on somebody else. Help me to live who, uh, lives who are completely honest. I want to be honest with you. And I want people to be able to be honest with me. That's what this worship looked like. Then kind of a devotional. Then I'll go to verse 3. I'll end here. When I refuse to confess my sin, I'll just read both verses. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You say, God, thank you for being hard on me. I need you to be hard on me. That's what a devotional time would be like. That's how I would start my day, just reading through something like the Psalms and just interacting, having conversation with God. When it comes to Bible study, one easy way to start that's practical 
we're just getting started, is to study Proverbs. Here's why. Because Proverbs has 31 books. And so you just pick the day that it is and do that proverb. What's today? Is it the fourth? So you would have picked Proverbs 4. I'll tell you, I pick Proverbs too, just to see it. But it'd be like this. My child, listen to what I say. And this is Bible study. Remember, this is reading and understanding. Listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and consecrate on understanding. Okay, so there's a difference between wisdom and understanding. What does the Bible say wisdom is? And what does the Bible say understanding is? And I would study that. I would look for all the verses that say wisdom, and I try to read those. I look for all the verses that would say understanding, and I would read those. I would look to see what commands were, and I would read those, and I would study. The best thing to do with that is to do that with other people. And then finally, um, service. Service. Let me read this verse, and then I'll have to end on this verse. Because I think this says it by itself. Why service is important. Why we do this every single day. Corinthians 12, 18, beginning there. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just the way he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, can't say to the feet, I don't need you either. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least are and least important are actually the most necessary. That's your pinky toe. You need that to be able to stand up. Lose your pinky toe and see what happens. And these parts are <laughs> these parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. Amen. That you come to church and protect those parts that we don't need to see. While, while the more honorable parts do not require special care. So God has put extra body together, put the body together so that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Now he's going to close this up, make a point. This makes harmony among the what? Among the members of the family, our church, us, so that all the members, how many of them? All the members care for who? Not the pastor. A great church is when the members are taking care of themselves. Amen. A great church is when I got to pray about something. I have somebody else to call me. This makes harmony because we're all members of the body. It says, if one part suffers. If somebody's not here because they're suffering. All the parts suffer with it. We are not individual parts. We are one body. If somebody's suffering, we're all suffering. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. Because we take care of one another. So service is about taking care of one another. Next week, you're going to hear, next week's going to be team day and team Sabbath. And that means you're going to get to see 
all of the team leaders up here, and they're going to explain about each one of the teams that we have, and you're going to get the opportunity to hear about a team, and I'm going to be praying that God will convince you and mess you up and make you say, I'm going to serve on a team, because on a team, that's how we take care of people at this church. It's that team that we find out where is such and so. And look, you don't have to do something every single Sabbath. It's fine. If you can't do it every week, that's okay. But you need to be around people. You need to be in a small group. Shout out to my small group. You need to be around people who can take care of you. And so as we end today, this is what I want you to remember. This week, this year, this decade, get yourself seated on something strong. Right? Prayer, Bible study, worship, service. Just practice it. Even if it takes a few seconds. Even if it just takes a little bit. Take your time. Take care of it. So I want to pray. And uh, I don't know what God wants for you today, but we talk about this all the time. Get in the flow. We talk about these five steps that you can take. And it really, and what it really does is there are opportunities, there are decisions that help you keep this up to either get started, which means allowing Jesus to leave your life, to, to get baptized, to say, hey, I'm going to make this public. It's time for me to do this, to get involved, to get on a team, to get invitational, to invite people in your life, and to get generous, to use the gifts and the resources that you have to help other people. I look around the room and I see people that are here because somebody else brought you. Do you realize that's a labor of love? Do you realize what they're saying to you is, I love you. I brought you here because I love you and I trust the people around here to love you too. Now I want to pray as we begin this year together, our first Sabbath of the year. I want to pray for any of these decisions that you make. And we've made it easy. You can go on the app. You can go on our website. And there's something called uh, Netflix. Oh, sorry. What's it called? Get in the flow. That's right. And you can choose it and you can let us know what decision you made today so we can follow up with you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for giving us a game plan to be ready for game day. Thank you for the strength that you showed when you were speaking to Pilate, the example you led for us to show us how to be ready. I want to pray for everyone in this room, for some of the people who are making a decision for the first time. The very first time to say, you know what? I love what Jesus did. I love who he is. I'm going to give him a chance to lead my life. And I pray for these decisions that people are making today to get in the flow. And I pray for next week and the following weeks as we lay out the vision of this church, as we show the opportunities we have to serve, that, Lord, these decisions will be put into practice. And we pray this. And we pray it with gratitude. And we pray it with thanksgiving. In the mighty and matchless name, no other name like yours, of Jesus. And everybody said amen Amen. and amen. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet.